Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, I'm Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm host of the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. I invite guests here who have a story, a story about not having had a voice. And they also get to share the journey of finding their voice. And we get to also learn about eventually what they now do. And today I get to interview somebody that's not in this country. Where are you from? New Zealand. I'm a New little, Z- yeah, little, little town called Kaurau in the Bay of Plenty, New Zealand. And it was so funny is that today... Tuesday in California here for me and for Susan, it's already Wednesday. And we had a little chuckle about what that that is. But let me introduce Susan. If you want to lose weight, get healthy and enjoy your life, then Susan Birch, known as the health detective, is the weight loss coach who can help you. And Susan understands how your body and what happens inside of your body, I guess, how it works, and what the challenges you face. And by combining her functional medicine skills with neurochange techniques and tiny habits formation, she can help you remove the blocks that hold you back from losing weight, improving health, and, wow, this is the best part, staying that way. Thank you for the bio, Susan, and welcome to today's show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, most people who do have a full-blown program like you and a message and a point of view have found that they didn't start out with a voice. So that's what I'd like to explore first is that I'm sure you didn't pop out of the womb and say, oh, I'm going to be a health detective. (laughs) So, but what was early life like for you and around having a voice or not having a voice? That's a really interesting question. And I would say my life was probably similar to many people's lives. It's taken me all my life to find my voice and I'm slowly gaining confidence but that doesn't mean that the demons don't still pop up there now and again you know so I grew up in rural New Zealand we had um, I had there were six of us in the family I grew up in a little village called Ruatahuna or I lived in a couple of small villages Manganui and Ruatahuna so it was it was a great life in many respects but it was also quite a hard and challenging life and I was the eldest of six children and just typical of the times you know it was it was a bit of a man's world back then and so us girls were sort of relegated you know to kitchen duties but my dad also thinking that girls could do anything thought that you know we could go hunting and chop the wood and 
do everything else the boys did as well. When I was <coughs> about two, um, my mum tells me I got meningococcal meningitis and she said I was quite a bright, outgoing little girl and my siblings are all very, very intelligent and have, you know, um, pursued great sort of academic careers. But I found as I grew up, I really, I, I wasn't very good at reading or writing and I really struggled with language. So I found that although I had a lot of ideas inside of myself, I really struggled to express them. A lot of words I couldn't say, and even to this day, I still have trouble pronouncing a lot of words, and often when I'm speaking, I'll have to stop and try and find an alternate word because on any particular day, I might not be able to get that word out of my, out of my brain or out of my mouth, which means I speak quite slowly too, so I often get told I need to speed up a bit when I talk. So. That made going to school and were quite challenging. And it was quite challenging. I was the eldest with this, this very smart siblings come behind coming along behind me. So I was told I was lazy. Um, and then I remember we had an IQ test, and my brother, who was a year younger, was a genius, and I was sort of had this extremely low IQ. So my parents were concerned about me and thought I should learn to do great things like be good in the kitchen and be good at raising a family and all those things, have those kinds of skills. So I didn't really have a very good academic start in life. And when I got to being a teenager, I was pretty rebellious. Um, we were, it was a fairly structured life at home. Um, and so when I left home, I sort of got in with the wrong crowd and um, ended up being, as a result of that, getting um, suffering a very violent gang rape when I was about 18. So that didn't do anything very much to improve my self-esteem or help me find, find my voice at all. And it wasn't until I got married and started a family that I decided that that wasn't, I didn't want the kind of life I was living and the kinds of things I was doing in my life. I didn't want that for my children. So I decided I needed to learn to read and write. And I set about doing that. And then I completed my, in New Zealand, we have school certificate and university entrance. So I did that by correspondence and I got my school certificate and I completed my university entrance. And then I started enrolling in university papers. So I did critical thinking and some sociology and some art history and a whole lot of random papers until I got into the exercise and nutrition field. And then I and by then I'd found my my niche. Oh, what a story. Thank you for uh, unzipping and giving us a, a view of what happened earlier on in life for you. And I get the sense of being 
in a rural setting that that's probably different than a lot of the listeners, but those who have grown up in a rural setting probably go, yeah, I know what, what close to the land feels like and what is required. And it sounds like it's uh, not an easy existence <laughs> to be somebody who has to, you know, get up and work, work the land. Yeah. It's still a good existence. I do. I love the outdoors. It fostered my real love of physical activity and being outside and being close to nature. And it it was interesting because although it was challenging and, you know, very authoritarian dad and, um, you know, a, a challenging environment in many ways, I was really fortunate because my parents did highly value education. My dad hadn't had a very good education. He left um, school very young and worked on his granddad's farm and then did manual labour. So I had the example of him as an adult improving his education. Back in those days, the encyclopedia salesman came door to door and Dad had bought this big set of encyclopedias and he sat down there and just worked his way through them all and he read history and philosophy. So... I was really fortunate that I kind of had that background and grounding and it was a bit, you know, so it was a bit of a mixture with kind of like the corporal punishment kind of side of life and the, and the you know, and the sort of physical punishment um, and then the hard work along with seeing that there, what, that there is something better out there and that, you know, there's so much more to learn. So I would say my dad, these days I'd say, he would be classed as someone with a growth mindset, you know, which I think he passed on to me. So I've been very fortunate in many ways. Oh, yes. It sounds like both the, uh, what he said about you being, even though you were a girl, you still could do the hard work. So I remember what you just said about that. But then now uh, pointing to him being a, what a, a hungry learner, just sucking up the encyclopedia. But you're right. It sounds like that's what you later on, what you also told us about how you then went back to school and just absorbed as much as much as much as possible so then so then yes okay so I get the sense of the early context both the challenge and also the opportunity especially it sounds like your father but then just being a little girl and having siblings that are you know, seem to have more qualifications in terms of what society looks for, and then comparing yourself. So that to me feels like you um, had to live with that for a while. And luckily, luckily, you found your way out of that. But what's interesting to me is that you said it was your children. Your children that woke you up and said, you don't want to pass on a life to them that maybe you were trapped in. Yeah, that was the real wake up to me. You know, you have these beautiful little babies and you're holding them in your arms and you realize that you're responsible for the experiences that they have in life and that those experiences are going to be how 
they look on the world and how they look on life. So I worked really hard to be a thoughtful and consistent parent and I worked really hard think of, to think about what I wanted for my children. doesn't mean I got it perfect by any means because we're all human, but I did have this really big picture in my mind for the kind of values and integrity that I wanted my children to grow up with. And I didn't want them to grow up with thinking that some of the stuff I'd done as a teenager and, you know, in my in my late teens was healthy, normal or appropriate. So I really needed to change. I really needed to make some dramatic changes, which I did. Uh-huh. Well, that's... Uh... Life gives you uh, the window and you, as long as you're looking out at it and the children show you a vision, a new vision of what could be, that feels like that was the beginning of a new journey for you, not just uh, giving birth to these children, but like you say, holding them and seeing what their life could be. Wow. that That feels like you know, as we move on in our talk today about what you, what you love about the work that you do, you know, like you said, improving health and staying that way. And that there's this whole sense of not only just self-improvement, but how you feel like you've dedicated your life to helping others improve their life. Yes, for anyone who's been the victim of sexual abuse in any form, and it doesn't necessarily have to be hugely violent, but even domestic abuse, even just verbal abuse about themselves, directed to them as a person and their competence, you're left feeling really ashamed Um, I was already quite ashamed because I knew I wasn't as bright as the other kids. I really struggled and I think some of my rebellion came as 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 a result of not being able to express myself and just this absolute inner frustration because inside I knew I wasn't dumb but I had no way of knowing how to express that out in the world. And so you do all these, you know, sort of silly things. (laughs) I think you'd probably do them anyway, but anyway, that's my excuse. And then after the sexual abuse is this absolute self-loathing because you feel that you feel filthy and ugly and you have no control and you can't stop it, and afterwards you feel like it could only happen to you because you're so disgusting as a person and you're so ugly as a person, and if you were more beautiful and better, people wouldn't, they wouldn't do that to you, and it's crazy, you know, I look back now, you know, sort of 40-something years later, and you think, oh my goodness, but at the time, that's how I processed it. One of the things was that while while it was happening, 
there was one really positive aspect for me, and that is that my early life and being out there hunting with dad and climbing the hills and the lessons that he taught me about how tough you can be, I was able to go inside my head, you can make me do it, you can't make me think it. And I think that was one of the saving graces for me. And then afterwards, also, I became determined I wasn't going to be scared. I wasn't going to live my life in fear of something bad happening to me. And so I think I think I was born under an optimistic star. I think a whole lot of a whole lot of things aligned for me. You know, I was born under an optimistic star. I do. I did seem to have a grasp of a bigger picture, even if I didn't always live that out. And then I had these early experiences of that I can be tough and I can handle anything and things move on. So it was an accumulation of a lot of things. But that the thought of being ugly, the, the, the feeling of being ugly is still with me today. So... I really understand how women get up and look in the mirror and just think, oh, my God, you are so disgusting. Like, how can you be like this? I really, I really get it, you know. And I know one of the things I've done all my life is good nutrition and exercise, and that was one way I could take back some of my power, you know. And so I've done that. So I really understand how that gives you the ability to take back your power. But you have to do it from a place of self-worth and self-love for yourself, not for anyone else out there, because there's no way I could have, you know, exercised for the last 43 years if I'd been doing it for someone else. I had to get to a place where I was doing it for myself. Now, that still doesn't stop me looking in the mirror and going, oh, my God, you're so ugly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anything will, but I know enough now to go, like, seriously? (laughs) Get a grip, you know? Like, who Mm -hmm. cares? You're just a normal, you're just an average-looking woman. Like, you know, what's this about? And I know enough to sort of start asking myself the questions. And so that's what I teach my clients to do because all the diets in the world, all the exercise programs in the world, chopping and changing and going from one to the other, well, they all work for a little while until they stop working. But they all stop working until you can get a handle on your own self-worth and that you are worth taking care of just because you're worth it. And because your body deserves it, you know, and you might have a bad day or a crappy boss and, you know, we all do. I feel like it. you want to come home and have a glass of wine and a chocolate. But how is that serving your self-worth? How is that making the boss better or the day any better? It's not because you eat it and then you just go into beat myself up mode. Oh, look at me. I promised myself I wasn't going to do that every night. And here I am doing it again. And what's wrong with me? And in the end, you just give up. 
Yeah. Right? And the next day you go back to work and the boss is just the same. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. That's well, the, exactly. what I'm getting also from what you were talking about a few minutes ago around uh, it, now you're really speaking to it is self-worth and how we come to value ourselves. And I'm thinking about how that relates to voice. And I'm thinking about voice as being, you know, what you're demonstrating to people is the inner voice that speaks to you and says something to you around how valuable you are. You know, the, that incident might not have happened if, 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 you know, whatever the, however you fill out that uh, sentence, the blank ifs. So the idea of what you're listening to inside of your head as being the voice that then you are, you become, you become that person because the voice is saying you are not worth something or you're not valuable. And it's just, you're showing us, I think you're really demonstrating to people how important what we think is really a voice. Yeah. And you've got to change that voice. I call it our story. And I've always noticed that when you meet people, they always tell you their story. And then I became aware that I have a story about myself. So my story is I'm a survivor, you know, and my story is I'm strong. And my story is I'm physically capable and fit. So I, I'm always living up to my story, you know. and But the other part of my story is that... I'm not attractive, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm ugly, I suppose, is the other part of my story. And I live up to that part of my story as well because I don't always probably, I always feel uncomfortable dressing up because I feel like I'm pretending to be something I'm not. Um, and so there's a lot of aspects of that side of me where I'm living to the story that I have that I'm ugly. So I think we all have different stories inside of ourselves. Some people have remarkable work stories or creative stories or, you know, artistic stories or musical stories, but then there'll be another part of them where their story is is not matching up and you go, wow, how can this person be this and then do that? So I think learning to change that story about ourselves that is what our self-worth is based on and then we go out and we live up we live up to that story Mm -hmm. I like that uh, that philosophy of having a story that we live up to I'll be taking that with me today that's a great and then also um, because I'm a psychologist uh, you know that's part of what I've studied is the shadow and that's what you're talking about this other story that we might tell ourselves and so that that's also you know that we have so many voices inside of ourselves and what yeah. are we listening to but there was a way in which you talked about looking at the mirror and hearing the voice that said hey you're ugly but you also heard hey you know you also heard it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like a kaleidoscope of voices inside. You also and, heard yeah. yourself say that. And then you, I saw, you know, for those who are listening and don't see you, you giggled. You kind of had a smile on your face when you went, oh, 
that's ridiculous. You know, yeah. you were not not confronting or being mad at yourself for thinking that, but just saying, oh, there you go again. Yeah. You know, that old, you know, whatever's been that uh, sense that's hard to transform. And that is such an important point you raised there because I have, you know, I work a lot with, you know, very, I I don't like using the word overweight or or obese too much. And in my circles, we talk about being overfat because you can be skinny and overfat. You know, being overfat is about having too much body fat, not the size that you are. And so it's really about is the amount of body fat you got harmful to your health? That's really that that's really the big question. And then of course we have our own. We say society wants us to be a size 10 or whatever, but really, really that comes from us. That's our own feelings that if I was a size 10, I could love myself more. If I was a size 10, I would be a better person. It's not really, um, I don't think it's so much about society anymore anyway. Anyway, I'm, I'm losing track. But being able to stand in front of that mirror and Look at yourself and say, yes, I am overweight, but I or overfat, but I but still feel that you have self-worth. And and it's being able to match those two things up. And that's where you can live into your story, where I'm a worthy person and my body is worthy of being taken care of. And and then in each moment we have a choice. If I eat that cookie, is that living up to my self-worth and taking care of my body? It's the only one we're going to have for the rest of our lives. So we really want to take care of it. So if I eat that cookie, that might give me some temporary relief from the pain <laughs> of the things I've suffered. And I know about that. And I did a lot worse things than just eat cookies. Um, so that gives you some temporary relief from the pain. But it's not a long-term strategy, you know, because then you you dislike yourself even more for being weak, for eating the cookie. Yes. Not helping the weight. Well, Um, you talk about, uh, when I introduced you, the medicine skills and neurochange techniques. Say more about that. So... In functional medicine, we look at root cause, and you mentioned root cause earlier on when we were talking. So we look at, in functional medicine, we look at the root cause for health conditions. You know, what's the root cause of someone getting diabetes or heart disease or having gut inflammation or having an autoimmune condition. So in functional medicine, we look at the root cause and I'm trained in doing blood chemistry analysis and a lot of other um, testing analysis. So, you know, Dutch testing for hormones, organic acids, to look at what the nutrient status of the body is like. And then, of course, if nutrients are missing, the body can't function properly. And you know that very well in your work, you know, like for the brain. I mean, nutrient-dense foods are absolutely the key to um, helping with depression and things like that. And sure, we might use, you know, other pharmaceuticals or other things, but if you haven't got the right nutrients going to your brain, your brain can't work properly. 
you know. So the functional medicine side looks at how do we get these nutrients into you? How do we get you digesting and absorbing them and using them properly to lay the building blocks and the foundation for your body to be able to work properly? You can't lose weight and keep it off if you don't have a really good nutrient status, if your body's not healthy. You can lose a few pounds and you put it back on because you can starve yourself and lose some water and it looks good on the scales. But it's not really long term, it's not a real long-term solution. So you've got to get you've got to get the body restored properly, physiologically, chemically, biochemically. And then the neurochange stuff, which is, you know, sort of, you know, what you work in, which is being able to learn how to take those thoughts. You have those thoughts which turns into feelings. So you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I'm fat. That turns into a feeling of being, I'm fat, therefore I'm worthless. And then you find an emotion or a reaction to that and you're like, well, I can't do anything about it at the moment because I'm too busy at work. And then you find a just, you know, and you find a justification for that. And then that triggers another thought and another thought. And I call that, I call that the spiral up loop. So we just keep layering these thoughts on top of each other and then we keep justifying why we can't do anything about it as well. I'm too busy. I don't have the right food in the house. These are all reasons why we can't eat properly, why we have to eat the cookie, you know. Um, so the neuro change comes in by really doing what I said about looking in the mirror and then, you know, laughing and going, well, like, seriously, is that true? So we tag our thoughts and you start to, you learn to notice through the day how often you have that thought. You walk past the shop mirror, oh, my God. You walk into a dress shop or you might walk past the front of a store and see some clothes that you think you can't fit into or you walk into a dress shop and you think, oh, everybody in there is judging me. But what you're really doing is you're really comparing yourself to the size of everyone else in the shop and then you're judging you. Most people aren't judging you. You know, you're going, I'm smaller than her, yay, that's good. I'm bigger than her, damn, what she must think of me. It's really just about what we think of ourselves. So it's just learning to get a handle on those thoughts. There's a lot of techniques we can use to deal with them. It takes a lot of work in the beginning and I find I run a six to eight week program or a bit longer depending on the individual and I find by about six weeks suddenly people have kind of got it and they turn up for a session and they go, oh, actually I've got a handle on this now. And what I see with my clients is that suddenly all the pressures and stresses in their lives go away well they don't go away what happens is they're able to separate those out from their eating behaviors and their exercise behaviors and I mean I've seen some remarkable turnarounds on last year I worked with a lady who um was is about my age and had been on the yo-yo dieting treadmill for most of her life and her daughter was a um prostitute and used to beat her up and she had like this whole violent thing going on at home and aggravation with her husband and concern about her granddaughter. 
And she always felt she needed to reward herself with food because of how difficult all this other stuff in life was. And once we got a handle on this and she started to see where her responsibilities to other people ended and where her responsibilities to herself began, she'd be able to just, she lost weight, kept it off, started wearing makeup and lipstick and looking really awesome and saying, oh, this happened, but it didn't mean that I had to eat the cookie or drink the wine or, or eat half the chocolate cake. I could still just eat a, eat my meal and take care of myself. I keep hearing it today with you this because of my sense of voice and what happens inside of us that you help people develop a new way of thinking, which to me is a new way of speaking to themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how what I'm taking from how you explain your work and how it applies to what we're talking about today, finding voice, helping people be able to say to themselves something more positive than staying stuck in the in the negativity or the worthlessness. Absolutely. They regain their power and then they're able to stand in their power of being who they are and, you know, the bombs can go off around you, but you're still standing in your own power. And and I think gaining that voice, I love I love that about having your voice because I feel like I've fought for my whole life to have my voice. And I see that in so many of my clients, you know, beautiful people, so much talent, and it's just lovely to see them develop the power of their own voice. Oh, I I love what you're saying. And and it feels like both of us have such a thrill because it is uh, find your voice, change your life. And that's what it seems like you're saying is Mm -hmm. that when people do find this new way of being with themselves and they can say to themselves, talk to themselves in a more positive way, they are empowered. So, oh, we're coming to the end and I want to make sure people can find you. What would we... What would people do to find you, Susan? They can find my website, which is susan at susanbirch.co.nz. Can you, can you say susanbirch.susan? Susan at susanbirch.co.nz. Okay. And you can find me on Facebook looking up Susan Birch, the health detective, and LinkedIn. Um, Susan Birch, the health detective. Susan Birch, the health detective. (laughs) And then I also have a YouTube channel, Susan Birch, the health detective. Right. You seem, I think you have a podcast, don't you? Yes, I do. So I have a podcast which is out on um, a few, few different podcast apps as well. I started with a YouTube channel, just doing Zoom interviews. Uh And then just recently, I've started transferring those interviews over to podcast apps so people can listen as well as watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here you are today. You have a voice. <laughs> you get to have a voice and not only look back on your life and your development, but acknowledge where the strengths were and acknowledge 
where the challenges were and it feels very integrated so thank you so much susan um, any any last words that you want to leave people with around voice i think give it time it doesn't happen overnight if someone had said to me three years ago I'd be sitting in a podcast or I would have my own podcast, I would have laughed. So these things just evolve over time. And don't worry about being perfect. I, If I went back and edited my podcasts and worried about it, I would never do them because they wouldn't be perfect. And then and then you lose your voice when you're worrying about perfection. So I just ignore it. I just like put it out there and move on. And people can take take it however they like, but I don't let it get inside of me and damage my soul. I'm just like, I'm doing my best. I'm learning as I go. And it will evolve over time. So, yeah, just give it time. Be patient with yourself. Don't worry if you make a mistake. Just get up and have another go the next day. And, yeah, just yeah, just be patient, I think. Yeah, thank you. It seems like uh, what we're saying today is finding your voice is a process. It isn't like in a destination and you get there and say, aha. I found it. (laughs) And it's an ongoing process. So thank you so much, Susan. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.